you have your Bibles, open up to Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us into His presence. If you would, go ahead and stand with us um, for the reading of God's Word. Y'all did better than the first service. Most of them sat down. Y'all stayed standing. And so let's dive right into the Scripture this morning. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Everybody say new. How many of y'all like the new car smell? The new shoe smell, right? For the first heaven and the first earth had done got dirty and had to be thrown out and passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Who's it from? God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Meaning he is present, right? And in that context, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would help us today to lift up our eyes. God, to get our eyes off of this down here, and Father, up into the heavens. God, from whence our help doth come from. Father, we look to you today. God, change our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, today, we journey into the fourth part of our series called Throne Room into Revelation. I think, honestly, we could spend probably about a year here. Like, there's so much packed into Revelation, and hopefully we've been able to answer more questions than we've created, right? That's kind of the hope with Revelation. Um, I did get one that I'll hit on briefly, Revelation chapter 12, if you'll flip over there real quick. The question was, who is the pregnant woman who is the child and who is the red dragon? Like when you read the Revelation, especially through the middle part, there's a lot of questions that you can write down. And so in Revelation, Pastor has said, and I've said that the spotlight, it's constantly on Jesus, right? The spotlight stays on, on him. And we've said several times um, throughout the series what you see God do in the very beginning of time. What you see him do in the very beginning of time in Genesis, you see him do the same thing in Revelation. It, it goes full circle. So before I answer this question, I want us to go back to the beginning. Genesis 3.15, I'll put enmity, hostility, between you, the serpent, and the woman, being Eve. And between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So God is referring to both the serpent and Eve in this passage, but then the seed of Eve, which would be Jesus. And so when you fast forward to Revelation, you have a lady that is impregnated, carrying a child and gives birth to the child. And most theologians would agree that this represents Israel. The pregnant woman, she would be carrying Israel. She's pregnant, carrying the seed. The male child, the seed that would be carried would be the hope of Israel, which would be Jesus. Because he's described as one who would rule all the nations with an iron scepter and would be caught up into the throne of God. And then the dragon would represent the devil 
who is on task to still kill and destroy, right? He comes to still kill, destroy the nation of Israel to prevent it from bearing the seed of salvation through Christ Jesus. The story of scripture as a whole, Satan trying to stop the plan of God. But we know as the church, even as he tries to defeat us, to stop us as the church, we are assured by Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against his church. Amen. So if you have any more questions on Revelation, you can just email them to Pastor Sean Kisser at Evangel Temple. I'm just kidding. Email them to us at hello at etag.tv and we will do our best to get back to them um, if, we, if you've got any questions as you journey through Revelation. All right. For those of you who are new to church, um, we are in the book of Revelation. Maybe you've never been around Christianity. Maybe this is your first time in church, first time in a long time. And if you've never heard of the book of Revelation, I want to give this disclaimer. Basically, everything you have ever seen in an apocalyptic movie was most likely influenced or inspired by this book of Revelation. Hollywood has an incredible way of taking narratives straight out of Scripture. I promise you I could show you time and time again and then twisting those narratives to make them something that they're not and then putting them into a movie. Right, and then you get these apocalyptic type movies. And so we're gonna journey into Revelation. I'm not afraid to talk with unchurched people about it because you look at Hollywood, they're doing the same exact thing, but just not in a good perspective or a good world view. And so from where pastor ended last week to where we're starting this week is a gap of about 16 chapters. And that's a significant chunk of building blocks, right? It's not like 16 chapters of Psalms or Proverbs. It is a significant chunk. And some of it is very, very complex. Revelation is my wife and I, as we were talking about it this past week, I said, I think the best way I can describe Revelation to a person is it's a lot like the movie Jumanji. How many have ever seen the movie Jumanji and that every time Robin Williams rolls the dice or a player in the game rolls the dice onto the game board, another layer of something complex is revealed. Rhinos and elephants start running the street. A poacher comes chasing a lion, shooting at everything. Cops are, cop cars are being driven by monkeys. It's just thing after thing of something that's not supposed to happen that begins to happen. And that's revelation. You have all of these events of every time a chapter turns, a new layer of complexity of events is starting to be revealed. And so I'm going to brush over some of the highlights right quick to bring us up to speed to Revelation chapter 21. From where I started the first week, Jesus tells Laodicea to be either hot or cold, not lukewarm. Otherwise, he would spit them out. And then the reader, John, as he's having this vision, he goes into the throne room. And there we see the angels and the elders in heaven surrounding the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God, right? And then as they're in the throne room, this scroll with seven different seals appears that no one has the ability to open but Jesus. And I want to remind you, there is only one who is worthy, amen? Only one who is worthy to open the scroll. So Jesus starts opening the seals, then Jumanji starts to happen. Different events begin to take place with each one of the seals. When the sixth seal opens up, it leads to hail, to fire, and blood being thrown down onto the earth. Then when the seventh seal is opened up, 
it leads to an angel who begins to blow seven different trumpets, which is a part of the seventh seal. And on the fifth trumpet, the fifth of the seventh trumpet, stars, I kid you not, you can go to Revelation, I think it's chapter nine, stars start to fall to the earth, opening up a pit where scorpions invade the earth and start killing the people on the earth. Then you go to chapter 12, the pregnant lady starts getting chased by a dragon. The angels in heaven in the last part of chapter 12 say, that's enough. They come and make war against the dragon, which leads to a beast with 10 horns and seven heads to come out to start war against the children of God. And the angels, they begin to start pouring out bowls of wrath and plagues on the earth, pestilence, war, and all kinds of crazy things. And famine start coming to the earth and the anti Christ comes, installs the mark of the beast, and people are like, yo, this is crazy. They start crying out for the mountains to fall on them. Then finally, Jesus splits the eastern sky, comes back with a sword out of his mouth on a white horse, tattoo on his thigh, starts fighting all the enemies of God. So many people are killed. That blood starts raising up to the horse's bridle. God throws all the people into hell that don't love him at that moment. He descends with a new heavens and a new earth, says, I'm the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, and then he raptures the saints to be with God and they live happily ever after. Worship team come, right? How many of y'all remember VHS tapes? You hit fast forward. That was revelation on fast forward for you this morning. Revelation chapter 21, John, and the final parts of his vision, sees a new heaven sees a new earth. Aren't you thankful that in the end of time, God is still creating things to be new? Regardless of how bad things have been, God is in the business of still creating new things. I don't care what you have been through in life. I don't care what life has looked like. God is in the business of restoring lives. If he is willing to restore this earth and the brokenness of this earth, he is still in the business of creating things that are to be new. We can look at it all around this room and and lives and it doesn't always happen within an instant. It's often a process, but he makes them to be new. If God made you to be new this morning, I want you to give him a shout of praise. If you're online, I want you to give God a shout of praise for taking the old and bringing the newness of life. See, as Christians, we should long for the new heavens and the new earth, one that is not corrupted by sin, one that would take us on a journey back into Eden. Jesus, in talking to his disciples in John 14, 3, he tells them, he brings them in and says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I love it in Hebrews eleven ten. It says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The writer is referring to Abraham. And I've got some news for you this morning. If Abraham was looking for a place whose builder was God. If Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you, that I'm the chief architect, then I got news for you this morning. He is preparing a place that is for you and for me, that is beyond all conception, beyond all of our imagination. This means that it's not something, it would be new to us, but it is not something that is new right now because it very much exists right now. However, God 
He doesn't want us to wait, to just wait, to spend our lives waiting for the manifestation of the kingdom in the future, right? Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter six, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just because he's making a new place for us over here doesn't mean we're just okay to live how we want to over here. Even though this world will be purged with fire, as Christians, as believers, we are to press for the kingdom in our world today to be that restorative work, to not just wait until the new heavens and the new earth come, but to press for it in the here and now, to take dominion, to take steps. Church, I'm tired of a church living in preservation and protection mode. When they get into the boxing ring, they automatically go into the corner, they put their fist up, and they start taking blows by the world. No, baby, God has called us to put our fists together, to come into the middle of the ring, to take dominion, to start fighting, to start pressing forward, and to see His truth, His kingdom established in this world. The newness of Christ should constantly flow forth from our lives. And the old should constantly be passing away. We don't want the new to coexist with the old. They should be newness flowing forth. Old passing away as we wait for the Lord. Everything unproductive should go. See, God is not creating us or a world to fit us. He's not creating a new heavens and a new earth to fit us, but his desire is to create us to fit his new heavens and new earth, which is why our lives must be pruned and why they must be refined to fit the world that he is creating. Revelation 2.1 says, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. See, God isn't just rehabilitating the world. But this world that we know it will be purged by fire. Even the beautiful green pews that you're seated on this morning, it's all gonna be purged by fire. Everything in this existence will go and that's the case. You see, sometimes things are so worn out, so broken that you just need a new one, right? My parents always taught us that you don't go out and buy a new car. You go and buy a new car when the old car that you got costs you more to keep than the new one does to buy, right? Some of y'all get that later. Hit it on rewind. You don't go out and just buy new things, but sometimes things just get broken, and you can't fix them. So God is going to come into this world. He's going to purge it with fire. And while all this mess is happening over here in this world, God is over here at the same time creating a new heaven, creating a new earth. Whereas the first one will be done away with because it's temporary, but the new heavens, they will be a permanent one wherein dwells righteousness. See, just as our bodies are here and now, they are temporary, but they must pass away. There must be a transition, right? In the moment, on the twinkling of an eye, when that trumpet sounds for the, those that remain, the dead in Christ, they will be caught up, but those that remain, they will be transitioned to meet the king in the air. There must be a transition for the temporal cannot inherit the eternal. The temporal cannot inherit the eternal. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will not pass away. He's saying everything around us is temporary. 
save the word of God, right? The scripture is clear. This life is but a vapor, but his word, it's permanent. It's been established. It's been fixed in the heavens. Psalms 119.89 says, see, one of the great deceptions of our age is we think and live as though we are permanent. We think and we live as though the lives we lead are permanent, that they are here. Solomon and Ecclesiastes gives mankind a sobering reminder that there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. And many spend their existence for this life alone, for this life alone and in this moment, it is gone. It's gone. We have to focus. God's desire is that we stay fixated, that our eyes, they stay caught up on and caught up in the eternity in heaven that is prepared for us. Verse one continues to say, and the sea, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. See, the sea is not the beautiful crystal glass sea that pastor preached about last week. This is a different sea. It's the sea of wickedness. It's the sea of death. And in Revelation 13, 1, one of the things I referenced earlier, it says, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads with 10 diadems and on its horns and, bla- uh, and on its horns, um, and blas- which had written on its horns blasphemous names on its head. This sea is a sea that was full of wickedness and evil. And in the new heavens and in the new earth, John is saying it will have zero. It will have no place. See, let me take you back to the beginning of time when God, he cast Satan down like lightning. Where did he go to? He came to this world. Satan was given dominion over the earth, which is why Genesis chapter one says the earth was formless and void. And darkness was across the face of the deep. The very beginning of time, God created this place called earth in in a fractured world, which is why Satan would be called the prince of the power of the air. So when God creates everything to be good in Genesis 1 and 2, he does so in a fractured environment, which is why we see the serpent having access to Eden, right? This imperfect being, This fractured being has access to the garden of Eden. I love this because my imagination begins to run with this. God could have created a new work and new heavens and new earth and done it over there and not ever worried about the evil and the chaos that was going on over here. But what it told me was that God does not mind going into the midst of darkness, formless and void situations, and start creating new things that are life-giving things to the world that is around us. No life is ever too far gone. No life is far too, ever too far void. No life is far too ever formless for him to go into, to restore, to strengthen, and make new. And you know what Jesus does? He begins to set mankind as his image bearers in a world that is fractured. And he says to be salt, to be light, to push back the kingdom of darkness and see light established in a world that was broken and fractured and marred by sin. He tells us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because he wants us to see wickedness eradicated in the world that is around us. But in the new heavens and the new earth, the sea of wickedness will not even have access or entrance. 
Not only the sea of wickedness, but also the sea of death. Isaiah 25, 7 says, and he will swallow up on this mountain. The covering that is cast over all peoples. The veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up forever. Aren't you glad that God has good, eternal plans for us? And God literally, in one sip, in one swallow, he removes death from the face of the world. I'm thankful that death will be eradicated. It will be no more. It will have no access into the new heavens and into the new earth. If you have lived for any length of time, you know what it's like to lose someone who is close. And this past year, it's been even more challenging with the pandemic. But the good news is this, that on this mountain, death will forever be swallowed up. And we, as the bride of Christ, we will be given a place of permanence with the Lord and those with the household of faith. A place of permanence, not a place that's temporary, not a place that's just here for a moment, but a place of permanence in the new heavens and the new earth. Verse two, and I've got like five minutes left. No, I'm just, um, it says, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. See, this is a city that's been in the process of preparation. How many of you have ever lived through a season of that process of preparation? It's not an easy season but there's a process in the preparation and God is in the process which is why I say it's not new it'll be new to us but it's very much existence because Jesus went to prepare a place for us and he's in the process of preparations aren't you glad that God has good eternal plans plans that are better than anything that we could ever imagine See, often when we hear the prophet say, I know the plans I have for you, we think of it solely in the here and now context. But God is wanting us to lift up our eyes to the eternal context. Paul would write in Romans that the present trials of this life aren't even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Meaning there is something that is coming that is so weighted in glory, so heavy in beauty, so uh, magnificent to us that the trials of this world, they pale in comparison. God is working and preparing something so great. And it says in verse two, new Jerusalem will be prepared as a bride prepares for her husband. Ladies, can I take you back to the season of life where you meticulously plan every detail for that moment? those doors to open and you to get that first glimpse from the time that the proposal took place the goal was to take his breath away the amount of investment that went in for that moment for that first glimpse to pick a gown to pick a hairstylist Mandy Kellaway uh, to pick a makeup stylist she does wedding hair um, to, to go through eyebrows and nails and to go through the practice runs of all the cosmetology to search for jewelry, search for shoes, to the smells, the perfumes, the incense, the bouquet shopping, the bridesmaid shopping. I mean, all of the details, the amount of time it is exhausting going into the wedding ceremony, right? All for that first glimpse as a bride is prepared for her husband. 
My favorite part was cake testing and the caterer testing, right? How many guys with me? I was like, all right, can we go to another cake place? I don't know if that one's gonna pass. Let's go to another one. And so um, the bride is spending countless hours planning church. God is meticulously crafting, creating, preparing new Jerusalem, heaven, as a bride would be prepared for her husband. Fellas, can I take you back to the moment where you stood at the end of the aisle waiting for that door to open? The sense of expectation, the sense of longing, the sense of desire, the sense of awe, waiting to see that bride. And my question is, do we as the church wait as that groom waits at the end of the altar? Do we wait? Are we in awe, waiting for this beautiful gift that God has incredibly prepared for us? God is writing to the church saying, this is exactly how he is preparing for us. And God is desiring his church to wait in the same spirit as a groom would wait for the bride and the altar looking with an eager expectation forward to the things that are to come forth, the scream, Maranatha. This is the spirit in which God would desire his church wait to, to long, to yearn for that day when he would split the eastern sky as a groom would wait for his bride at the end of the altar. God has good plans and he's carefully crafting every single detail. And he wants you to look forward to it so much more than anything we look forward to in this life. If the worship team would come. Pastor Mark and I, we were talking about two weeks ago, um, just about different people who had found success in this life. And, you know, we conversation went a number of different routes and it led us back to his grandparents brother and sister hires who passed away, I don't know how many years, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and he said, you know, Jordan, my grandparents, I remember sitting around the dinner table with them and they were constantly talking about heaven. They weren't people of great means, this earth by the earth standards, but what they did have was hope in heaven. And I thought, you know, far too often as the church, we're not thinking, we're not talking on, we're not dwelling on that eternal prize that is to come. If you're engaged, everybody's wanting to know, when's the big day, when's the big day, when's the big day? And you're fixated on that day that has come. There's a, there's a point in time that is coming, right? You, you're, you're getting ready for it, you're preparing for it, and everybody's excited, and there's that anticipation. But as the church, are we living with this anticipation of the day that is to come, longing for him to split that eastern sky to forever dwell with us in this world. Verse three, it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their 
God. Isn't it amazing that God would desire, would want to dwell with us, that he would continually choose us? Church, this is the great hope of the Bible. Exodus 25, eight says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Leviticus 26, 11 says, and I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Ezekiel 37, 26 says, I will make a covenant of peace peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them and I will set them in their land. I will multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Zechariah 2.10 says, Sing and rejoice O daughter of Zion for behold I come and I will dwell in your midst and many nations shall join themselves. Every tribe, every tongue, every language group to the Lord in that day and they shall be my people and I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that I the Lord of hosts I have been sent to you this is the great hope of the scripture that we will be dedicated fully consecrated unto him in first Peter 2 9 would say but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation of people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into to the light. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that God would choose us. God would woo us. God would draw us into him and allow us to be filled with his presence, to be perfected in his presence. And in his presence, there would be fullness of joy. And right at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. And in this context, he will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed. Church, I wish I had time to go through all of this. But for the faithful, he's carefully crafted out the best. But for the faithless, eternal hell is waiting. Revelation 21.8 says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murders, the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. If you would go ahead and stand with me and our worship team, not sure where they are this morning. I'm about to go jump on the keys. The choice is ours. There's two paths that are in front of us. Which one will you choose? Which one will we choose? He's got the bliss of heaven, but then also there's the reality of hell. Heaven and hell are real. Which one will you choose? Which life will you lead? With everybody's head bowed and eyes closed this morning, the decisions we make here have eternal significance. Decisions we make tomorrow have eternal impact. What will you choose? Holy Spirit, I pray that you will work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will work in our lives, that you'll draw us into you. Convict us, oh God. Convict us, oh God. If you're here this morning and things aren't right, 
between you and the Father. You've been doing life your way. He's got eternal heaven waiting. If you need to surrender to him this morning, everybody's eyes closed, heads bowed, if you would just slip up your hand. There's no reason to be apart. There's no reason to be far off. He's calling, he's wooing, he's waiting. He's provided everything that you need. Amen. Online, if you would, just let one of our reps know and they can reach out and pray with you as well. I want us all to pray this prayer together this morning. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for salvation. Thank you for giving your life so that I can have life. Forgive me for I have failed. Come into my heart. Wash me and cleanse me and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. He's not willing that any should perish, which is why he gave himself. He became that bridge from this broken world to the new heavens and the new earth. Nothing unclean, nothing unholy can cross that bridge. Church, we can't do this life alone. We gotta have support. We gotta have help, which is why we push you to text in this number, to fill out a connection card. It's not so we can count paper. But I know as a pastor that I need help walking my spiritual journey out. You need help walking your spiritual journey out. And that at birth, new birth, it's the most important that we come alongside and we put our arms around each other and we help you walk it. And so if you're giving your life to Jesus and you're serious about this heaven thing, you're serious about eternity with him, text into this number, fill out that card because the first step begins now begins now. If you're in this room this morning, I'm going to read the Ronit blessing. We'll close out in just a second. But if you need healing, we're going to pray over the sick and pray for healing tonight. You'll be able to step out into the altars. But I want us to pray right now for those who need healing in their bodies. I want you to just slip up your hand and all of our, um, our, our spiritual leaders and deacons, if you would just stretch your hands out towards all those who have their hands raised. Now let's pray the prayer of faith. That's what James says. Pray the prayer of faith that they may be healed. Father, we come before you. And God, we just speak life this morning. We speak healing this morning. We speak health and wholeness and rest. Restoration, God, I declare that through the power of the blood of Jesus, healing would flow forth. God, as Pastor and uh, Pastor Kim mentioned earlier today, that by the stripes laid on Christ's back, we are healed. We declare that healing to flow forth in Jesus' name. We pray. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, don't forget. We have the join class, I believe, immediately following the service today. E-groups are getting ready to launch. Baptisms, baptisms. If you got saved today, um, we're doing baptisms. Meet out in the lobby at 5.30 tonight. Uh, bring a change of clothes and then Michael Dow. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of God and I will bless them. Father, we thank you. 
that you have made heaven to be our home. And Father, we join in. We sing holy around your throne this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us as we live this life not to be distracted by the shiny things in this world that it has to offer. God, as the old song says, may the things of this world grow strangely dim. But may we lift up our eyes to see the beauty of what you have prepared for us in Christ Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.